Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Martyrs and Missionaries is a production of Revive Studios. You're listening to Martyrs and Missionaries. I'm Elise, and every episode I'll bring you a new martyr and or missionary, the called and the brave. In this episode, we're talking about the martyrs of Lyon and Vienne. The martyrs of Lyon and Vienne were killed under Marcus Aurelius around 177 AD. This is about 20 years after the martyrdom of Polycarp, which we covered about 10 episodes ago. I'll link it for you if you haven't listened to it yet. Polycarp was killed in modern-day Turkey, and the martyrs of Lyon and Vienne were killed in modern-day France. We're still able to know about these martyrs today because of the laborious record-keeping of Eusebius. Eusebius was an early church historian. He lived from roughly 260-ish to about... 339, 340. He wrote very many crucial books, but one of his most well-known was called The Church History, and it covered, as you may have guessed by the title, Church History. It was the first full-length narrative written from a Christian's perspective. It recorded church history from the time of the apostles up to his own time, so roughly 300 years. The testimonies of the martyrs of Lyon were written down by the churches there and sent to the churches in Asia Minor. So everything in this episode is going to come directly from that direct account. The Christians begin the letter by stating that the persecution started to intensify. They were no longer excluded merely from homes, bathhouses, and marketplaces, but they were no longer to appear anywhere. And when and if they were seen, they were attacked by violent howling mobs and dragged to the tribunal to stand trial. If they confessed Christ, they were thrown into prison to await the governor's arrival. And if you recall in our Polycarp episode, we talk about what the tribunal process looked like. Essentially, Romans, being polytheistic, thought that Christians were atheistic and demanded that they denounce the atheists and burn incense to the emperor. When the governor arrived, the Christians were dragged out, ridiculed, and treated so inhumanely that a man named Vettius, who was described in glowing terms by the church as a righteous man of great standing in the city, he was so upset at their treatment that he requested to go before the tribunal with the governor present and prove that Christians were not atheistic or impious. Instead, he was shouted down with shocking vitriol by the mob and the tribunal. The governor asked him if he was a Christian, and he calmly answered yes that he was, and he was killed, joining the ranks of the martyrs. After Vettius' death, the first group of martyrs were brought out. They proudly proclaimed the name of Christ before the governor and were martyred, all but ten of them. The letter says they failed in their training, and they were not equal to the struggle and proved stillborn. Their denial caused the church to grieve mightily. These churches were small and close-knit. They would have seen each other on a pretty much daily basis. Their denial was essentially the same as seeing your mother, brother, or child deny Christ. It was a visceral grief. Day after day, they rounded up the surrounding Christians until they had essentially emptied out the churches of anyone of note. 
But they didn't take only the Christians by themselves. They also took their household servants, some of whom were not believers. These servants were terrified of the tortures and the agonies they saw the Christians go through. And so encouraged by the soldiers made up grotesque lies about them being incestuous cannibals who ate their own children. The letter says they also leveled many accusations at them, which were things no one should speak or even think about. I'm not exactly sure what would be worse than an incestuous cannibal, but there must have been at least a few things. These horrific accusations turned people away from them, people who had once been their friends and allies. They turned against them like beasts, they write, fulfilling the words of the Lord in John 16, 2, which says, The hour is coming when those who kill you will think that by doing so, they are offering worship to God. After this, the fury of the mob fell on Martyrus, a novice but heroic contender, and on Attalus, a pillar among the Christians and on Blandina, who proved that what men think lowly, God deems worthy of great glory. When she was arrested, her mistress worried that she might not be able to withstand the torture and might renounce the Lord. From these two statements alone, I think we can infer that Blandina might have had some physical ailments or limitations. But instead of giving up the faith, she exhausted her torturers from morning to night. They admitted defeat because they couldn't think of anything else to do with her. They were amazed that she was still alive, considering her entire body was smashed and lacerated. Any one of the tortures they performed should have been enough to kill her. Instead, she just kept saying, I am a Christian. Nothing wicked happens among us. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Others who had been taken by the Romans were imprisoned in filth and darkness, placed in the stocks and stretched. Many were strangled in prison and others were tortured so cruelly that it seemed they would not survive, but they did. But the young, who were recently arrested and unaccustomed to torture, could not survive and died in prison. Now, if you recall, I mentioned 10 people earlier who were described as stillborn when they recanted. They were treated far worse by their jailers for recanting. And their treatment had none of the relief and promise of Christ that the others had. 
They were so miserable and hated, called cowards by the Romans. They had saved their lives in the temporal, but what good was it when they were so choked in misery? In fact, they were treated so poorly and looked so regretful that it strengthened the Christians even more not to recant, and we'll get back to them in a bit. Martyrus and a man named Sanctus, who was a deacon of the inn, were taken to the Colosseum and subjected to every torture the mob could think of and the torturers could inflict. They were whipped, mauled by wild animals, and placed in the iron chair until the stench of their roasting bodies rose up to the mob. They succumbed to the Colosseum and were taken up to Christ. Blandina, who refused to recant or succumb, was taken out to the Colosseum to be hung upside down on a stake and devoured by wild beasts. She prayed so loudly and encouraged the other Christians who were in the Colosseum that they would soon have fellowship with the eternal God. The beasts refused to touch her and she was taken back to the prison. The mob then demanded Attalus as he was a pillar among the Christians. He was paraded around the Colosseum with a placard around his neck which read, This is Attalus, the Christian. The governor then received word that he was a Roman citizen and put him back in prison. Romans had very strict rules about how they were to be treated, and being sacrificed during the games was not legally okay. So what happened to the ones who recanted? Seeing the others remain so firm under torture and death stirred their spirit into confessing Christ. There is a book called The Insanity of God, and in it the author talks about being at a conference, and he was interviewing pastors who had been persecuted. Two pastors came forward and told the crowd about how they had recanted under persecution, and it ate them up. It caused them physical anguish. They said it was better to stand firm than to recant and regret, because you don't want to know or experience that feeling of regret, that feeling of denying your Savior. The Lyon and Vienne Christians, now reborn, went before the tribunal, surrounded by the mob, and confessed Christ. Those who had Roman citizenship were beheaded, and those without were fed to the beasts. Attalus, who had been sent back to prison because he was a Roman citizen, was returned to the Colosseum to appease the mob. Now, I want to pause here for a minute because I want to focus on this idea of mob violence and appeasing the mob because the Romans seem to do that a lot. You have Polycarp, you have these particular martyrs, and then you have, obviously, the crucifixion of Christ. And I'm sure there are many, many others. But the Romans, even though they had very strict rules, when it came to mob violence, they were more turned by the mob than they were a reverence to their own rules and morality. And there's a few different moments in this story that I'm not going to cover, but they seem to go in line with this as well, that the mob was so worked up and stirred up that they went against their own moral inclinations and did terrible things to them despite their age or their gender that were evil. And no matter how much they appeased the mob, it didn't work. You could not satisfy the mob because the mob is not a thinking, rational being. It is a movement of pure emotion and hatred. And so I view this kind of as a lesson, not to appease the mob. No matter what they say, they will never be satisfied, so don't bend to them. Attalus was then given to the beasts, but for his end was placed in the iron chair. As he was dying, he yelled up to the mob, Look, eating men is what you're doing. We neither eat people nor commit any crimes. They understood they were being persecuted for the name of Christ, but they wanted the mob to understand that they were not killing them for the reasons they claimed. They were not incestuous cannibals or any of the other things they claimed. Instead, the accusations the mob leveled at them became the very things they committed against the Christians. On the last day of the games, Blandina was brought back out, the beasts refusing to touch her before. She was brought out with a young boy of about 15. 
Blandina encouraged him and he was able to endure the tortures to the end. And here I'll read directly from the letter. Last of all, the blessed Blandina, like a noble mother who had comforted her children and sent them on triumphantly to the king, rejoiced at her own departure as if invited to a wedding feast. After the whips, the beasts, and the gridiron, she was finally put into a net and thrown to a bull. Indifferent to circumstances through faith in Christ, she was tossed by the animal for some time before being sacrificed. The Romans admitted that never before had a woman suffered so much, so long. These martyrs, no matter how much they suffered, refused to be called martyrs. They reminded their fellow Christians of the others who had gone on before them and pleaded with them to pray for them to endure and make it to the end. Their worry was not for themselves. Instead, they prayed that the devil would surrender those who had first lapsed from the faith. They did not boast over the fallen, but shed tears on their behalf to the Father. Then they departed victoriously to God, leaving behind them joy, peace, unity, and love. There is more to this account that I didn't cover just for the sake of being concise. But I did find a website that has the full letter, and I'll link it if you want to read it, and I do highly recommend reading it. As much as we find encouragement from the stories of missionaries, the stories of those who are martyred strengthen our faith as well. Hebrews 12, 1-2 Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. As always, thanks for listening to Martyrs and Missionaries. I'm Elise.